1: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Wherever you listen to podcasts, ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.
0: This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody and welcome. My name is John Bliesdell. I'm a writer and film critic and today I'm going to be talking to Anna Kale who is the author of a biography on the actress Diana Dawes, the real Diana Dawes it's called. Diana Dawes shot to fame in the, in the 50s and 60s and had a long career as a film actress, mainly in British cinema. Anna's book is great at revealing this side of Diana Dawes because later in life she became much more of a sort of tabloid, hounded uh, celebrity and she became sort of a game show guest and and that sort of thing. So she she was very famous, I remember, when I was growing up. But she's sort of a little bit disappeared from view so Anna's book is a really good corrective in showing us what the original talent was and in some ways it's a sad book because it also shows the decline uh, of the British film industry yeah yeah uh, well you know that's what happens if you enjoyed the episode please remember to like and review and tweet about it you can follow me on twitter at drjonti d-r-j-o-n-t-y but before you do any of that please enjoy the conversation I was really interested in your book because Diana Dawes is one of those people who, when I grew up, I you know, I'm a kid of the 70s, 80s. She was kind of omnipresent. She was a really big figure in British culture, but she's sort of I, I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure is is she still that sort of is she still remembered in that way or or, or how where where does she stand now? Do you think?
2: I think you're right. I think people of different generations have different memories of her. Um, so I'm, I'm a similar age to you, I guess, from from what you've said. And yeah, I mean, that's how I first encountered her was as a child watching TV. You know, she'd be a guest on a sofa on a chat show or she'd be on a game show or she'd just be this larger than life character suddenly appearing on the screen looking radiant and wonderful. And as a child, she um, entranced me, you know, and that's how I got to know her But, you know, through that, not through her acting necessarily at that stage, it was only later on, you know, that I kind of uh, saw her screen career, you know, before that time, before the late 70s, early 80s, when she was this kind of um, mainstay of, of British TV, you know, culture. And yeah, I think a lot of people of my generation certainly accessed her that way, or they saw the Prince Charming video, the Adamant video, and saw her on that, or they saw. her Oh my God, she was on that know, as well. On TV, she was. She was the fairy godmother. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh man. Looking amazing, That's an absolute flashback Have, there. <laughs> having a right laugh, you know, kind of doing that kind of thing, and she she always looked like she was absolutely enjoying every moment of what she did, and I think that really came across in in the way she kind of captured people's kind of imaginations, really, and, and people loved her for it, you know. But people obviously older, you know, reckon, remember her from her the peak of her screen career. Um, I think one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to kind of get people to recognise her as a film actor, as a star and try and get them to kind of revisit her career, uh, look beyond the the tabloid headlines and all the other stuff that kind of came along with her and just see her as, as, as an actor and a really fascinating person. And try and get people's interest in her. You know, I talk to kind of younger film writers, uh, particularly female writers, who don't know of her or you know aren't really very familiar with her work. And I'm like, yeah, you, you need to look into her. You know, you need to look at her career because it's a fascinating one. Which hopefully came across in the book. That kind of that combination of the Yes, there's the acting, but there was the the fame and the kind of the way that she presented herself is all part of that image. And I think it's a really interesting study of you know, British film culture at the time and stardom and, you know, she, uh, she's a really interesting person to to, to study um, from that point of view as well.
0: The appeal of the book for me was initially sort of like this nostalgic sort of like, oh, I wonder, yeah, I I, I have this person in my head i'd like to know more about her I'd like to know what was behind this but then as i was reading it was really right there are some films here that i i have seen and i remember her in and there are some films here i've never heard of that i that you know i need to put on my watch list and it was yeah no it really i think the book really worked as a an appreciation and it certainly made me want to go back and, and look at some of those older you know movies when she was starting out what was the first film then that you were watching and you sort of first sort of discovered her as an actress rather than as a sort of TV personality.
2: Yeah. So it, it was way after that, to be honest, you know, it was, it was a long time after when I started studying film, um, kind of in earnest and British film. And it was uh yield to the night was, you know, the first film I saw her in or really noticed her in, but purposely sought out to, to watch. Right. I really liked the, the films of Jay Lee Thompson, who is the director. Uh, she worked with him a few times and, Yield to the Night is an amazing film it's an amazing piece of work it's a really important piece of cinema but it's also a really amazing performance by Diana Dawes and it was it was a, a performance that should have been the star of something amazing for her and wasn't and I think that's a really interesting kind of part of her career journey as well is that she she should have become the star that she deserved to be and felt she deserved to be but didn't and it's, it's a really interesting kind of turning point in her career but as, as a film it's an amazing film as a performance it's amazing and I think you know whenever anyone asks me you know what films would I recommend obviously that's top of the list it's 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 an amazing performance it's not my favourite of her films mm. I, th- I don't think I have a real soft spot for some of her other work in the in the 50s the kind of the gritty British Northern Noir kind of stuff that she did like um tread softly stranger is, is, is an example where she's this amazing beautiful woman suddenly appearing in these kind of dodgy bedsits and kind of you know industrial landscapes and the long haul is another example of that where you know she's kind of this just gorgeous vision appearing in this kind of film about you know kind of trade routes between Glasgow and Liverpool just ran really random uh, subjects and random films um, it sounds crazy but it's, it's a period of British cinema that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with but she is absolutely just she just lights up the screen and she's gorgeous but her performances really lift the films you know she kind of she just gives this amazing she has this amazing screen presence and I think that really comes across in 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 those films of that period um so yeah it it as I started to, my interest grew in her as I started to watch her on screen. It, you know, it it, it it was fascinating to watch her. Could
0: you tell us a bit more about Yield to the Night then? Describe the film for us.
2: OK, so Yield to the Night is a rallying cry, really, for um, changes to the law on uh, the death penalty. So uh, J. Lee Thompson, um, he made the film, you know, as a way of kind of, I guess, um, capturing people's imaginations with a story, but actually, you know, would get people to think differently about how the death penalty was used. Yeah, he used kind of the film as a way to kind of do that and kind of uh, create a, a conversation uh, around it. And
0: she plays someone who's accused of uh, a crime, who's who's guilty.
2: Yeah, so this is the interesting thing. We know uh, from the start of the film that she's guilty, what we see is, so she's awaiting the death penalty. She, she's, she's in um, solitary confinement, awaiting the the news about her appeal against her, her her sentence. We see her recounting how she got there. So, through the film, the story builds about her and her uh, former boyfriend, and a woman who her boyfriend was involved with, and how she came to um, to be found guilty of murder. And it's really interesting, you know, we're not trying to establish her guilt but we're looking at her as a person and the the motivations I guess and the 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 story around how people can come into those situations there's no judgment there in that sense of we know she's guilty we know that she, she killed someone but where what what Jaylee Thompson does is he tries to kind of create this this conversation around well you know what would you do in that situation you know what what would you um what would you what would you have done you know differently and it's kind of yeah it's a kind of fascinating way to kind of yeah kind of build that picture of someone you know we, nobody's kind of whiter than white you know it's kind of it's, it's just really interesting the way Diana does plays the character as well how she kind of it's a real kind she you know she looks very different obviously to to previous roles. You know, she, her hair is kind of scraped back. She's got no makeup on, and we're seeing this this kind of unraveling of her as a character as she recounts her story and is facing the you know the her fate, and kind of recounting this to the women guards in the prison. It's um, kind of yeah, it, it's it's a, a beautifully made film. It, you know, the the way that he um, makes the film is is. is really stark and wonderful, um, and the, the flashbacks kind of create that kind of colour with within the, that story. It's a wonderful contrast with, with you yeah, obviously the, the, the prison scenes. It's just, it's a really fascinating piece of filmmaking with a wonderful central performance. It did start the conversation. Now, people often mistake, the, the, the character that Dynadolz plays is Mary Hilton, and people often mistake her as playing Ruth Ellis, who was a real-life, you know, person who was the last woman to be hung in this country.
0: And Miranda Richardson played her like later on in was it Dance with a Stranger? Dance with
2: a Stranger, yeah, which is a wonderful film too. People often kind of get the two things confused, but it's um, it's not Ruth Ellis's story. And actually, this was a fictionalized account. It, it came came out before that case. It was based on a, a book, which kind of. Uh, so I'm just having a I'm trying to think back. Yeah, it, it's based on a on a book, and the the book is it's a fictionalized account of what might happen, rather than right. you know a factual case. But there are so many similarities with the Ruth Ellis case. It, it's uh, yeah, you can see why people you know do confuse the two cases because they are so similar.
0: It's sort of like her most unDiana Dorsey performance, isn't it? Would that be fair to say?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's what they wanted to achieve was that you know that uh, the the. I guess the the shock of that for audiences to kind of see Dana Dores in role. A lot of people didn't want Dana to to get the part. Um, you know, they they thought it was a strange choice of casting. Um, but Jelly Thompson had worked with her previously. You know, kind of they'd established a good working relationship, and he wanted her for this role. Joan Henry, um, who wrote the the screenplay. It was based on her novel. She'd spent time in prison herself. She's a really interesting character herself. And she she, and Diana Dawes and and Jay Lee Thompson, they build this, you know, fascinating character and fascinating way of telling this story. It's, yeah, yeah it really... Powerful. It's very understated, but it's incredibly powerful. A powerful storytelling It got people thinking. It got you know the, the case debated in Parliament. You know, and there were some um, changes made to the laws, and which kind of set the scene for later changes further down the line and the death penalty ending. So it, it did what they wanted. You know, it started that conversation.
0: Going back a little bit to to sort of your own journey towards Diana Dawes and your own journey to sort of writing a book about her what, what's your history in terms of you know you said you, you were studying film you say I
2: have studied film yeah I just for, for pleasure not for kind of you know I'm not a, a film academic I'm not a film scholar um I'm a, I'm a film fan so I've always had always had an interest in cinema from a young age and always been fascinated by learning more about you know the, the cinema that I, I was watching. My route into writing is is a really random one and it's not I guess your usual route in you know like I say I'm not an academic I haven't gone down that route although I have studied film um, and kind of you know studied the the basics of kind of film studies in at night school I, I didn't come in that way. I'm not a trained journalist, I'm not a trained writer in that sense. You know getting to this point was a bit of a kind of strange place to 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 be at this age I didn't start writing about film until I was in my early 40s even though I'd been writing for myself and kind of doing bits of of, um you know kind of writing around film for in my you know before that in my early 20s I did have a go at trying to kind of get there and kind of build a you know um, something where I could kind of Get someone to pay me to talk about films. It never worked out, you know, when I first tried, and um, but I tried again in my my late my early forties, and and it kind of worked out this time. It's yeah, I'm I'm in no way a trained writer, a trained journalist. I've not got the background that most people, I guess, who you know get into that
0: yeah there's a constant theme on this podcast if you've listened to some of the earlier episodes is that more or less everybody seems to have come via a different route we're we're all we're all fueled by the petrol of our love of film but uh the uh, the cars we're driving are all different you know? <laughs> yeah. god I didn't know where that metaphor was going <laughs> so it went over a cattle grid or two to just to continue it okay what makes you when you're in your 40s go you know what I'm gonna start writing about this what's the what's the is there an inciting incident or is it just you you want a place to put your passion
2: um I think it was yeah, maybe more of the latter but a little bit of the former as well so I, I uh, when I left university I wanted to be a journalist and I could couldn't afford to go and do a postgraduate qualification in journalism. I I, I didn't have the money and the funds to access the funds to do it um so I took on a traineeship in features writing for a features agency and had a awful experience of kind of doing that and it was um yeah not a great experience and not a great introduction to um trying to make a career out of writing but I always knew I was a features writer not I'm not a news reporter I'm not a news journalist I always knew it was um, longer form than writing I wanted to tell stories of about fascinating people or you know I wanted to kind of have the space to kind of create you know these stories and get them you know out there and I, I did um, spend a year trying to make that work in terms of the, the features journalism essentially it was a glorified sales job um you know getting stories selling them to to magazines um and then then you you can do some writing you know but it seemed to be that an afterthought but yeah so i i yeah i really struggled with that environment it, it didn't suit me at all and I've, i i left that behind it was not for me and that all of the routes seemed to be closed off because i had didn't have the qualifications didn't have the connections i didn't have any of the stuff you know i'm just some working class girl from leeds i'm not you know i'm not in that world and it seemed closed off to me. So I left Thoughts of Journalism behind, did a bit of kind of press publicity work, you know, press offices, that kind of thing. Again didn't really um, get a kind of foot in the door and decided, you know, to start temping while I decided what I wanted to do with my life and um, got a temping job in my local hospital. And 20 years later, I'm still work in the NHS in my day job. And I'm incredibly proud of my NHS career. You know, I kind of, I have a real love for what I do in, in my day job and the, the impact that it has and the positive impact I can make through that work. But, you know, I, I, I always felt I wanted to write. I always knew I was a good writer. I I always knew I had a a talent for writing. I just wasn't able to to do anything with that, you know, career-wise. I had a family. I had my daughter. I'm in my 30s and kind of my time was spent, you know, doing that, doing the day job, being stressed out and tired all the time. Once she got a little bit older, I felt, you know, I was starting to feel I had time for myself and to kind of think about what I wanted to do. I felt there was something missing that I needed, you know, just for my own uh, self-worth and kind of confidence, my daughter had a condition called selective mutism, which is an anxiety related disorder, which means that she wasn't able to to talk to, to people um, outside of the immediate family. I started documenting our journey as a family through that and I started a blog and it was a really helpful thing for me to do to kind of get my feelings out there you know kind of start writing them down and and sharing that with other people because if we were going through it other people were too you know it's kind of I couldn't find the information we needed I knew that other people would be in the same boat and I I started a a regular blog talking about her progress with selective mutism and how how we kind of got there as a family in terms of uh, turning that around for her and I just kept writing. I, you know, she um, she started talking, at, you know, and she kind of, she started to make real progress with that. My blog turned, started to turn into kind of a wider subject area and other things, you know. I just kept writing every month. I made sure I wrote a blog post and mm. I just kept going with it. And yeah, and then one day... I just kind of thought, well, you know, I enjoy writing and I want to to do more with it. Um, I was 41. I just got back from a trip to Australia with my daughter and I'd seen how brave and wonderful she'd been, you know, kind of taking what for her were really you know difficult steps in terms of kind of her confidence and her social you know kind of social skills and I thought you know if she can do that I can do that too you know when I get back I'm going to do I'm going to see what I can do with this so when I got back I contacted um, a website that ran in uh, in Leeds kind of looking at culture I knew that's kind of the area I wanted to to write on I wanted to write on culture um, film TV whatever it was it was just something around that space so I contacted the editor and said are you looking for writers and he said oh I know you. you." you write that blog about your daughter yeah we'd love you to have you have you um as a writer and the next thing i know i'm writing for them and uh writing you know regular pieces on you know theater reviews uh, film reviews interviews I found I really love interviewing people, so I did a lot of that. I did a lot of kind of interviews with celebrities and, you know, anyone who had anything new coming out in the area, you know, they obviously they wanted to promote it. So I did a lot of interviewing, really kind of built up my writing skills and kind of, yeah, I just did it. You know, it did, that was the only way I could kind of build that skill set was to just get on and do it and, yeah, kind of progressed from there. And uh, yeah, maybe not even a year later, I don't think, I had my first piece published in a film magazine. Again, I responded to a tweet and that, that's how I kind of got that gig. Um, and yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. And it was only less than two years between starting, you know, making that initial connection and asking, you know, do you want writers to to me, you know, signing the, uh, the book deal um, to, to write the Diana Dawes book. So it was a very quick turnaround. I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting to to be writing a book at any point, never mind, you know, just kind of a, you know, year or so into, into starting writing again. Uh, so it was a bit of a whirlwind journey. But you know, obviously, I was doing something
0: right. I think that's an important lesson because I think I think from the outside, the world of film writing, the world of criticism, the world of journalism, can seem very, very closed. But I think some of those invisible walls just aren't there. I think a lot of it is internalized. I think a lot. You know, I, I have a similar background to you started relatively late and it was really quick because ultimately you know if if you're good at it you know people look people kind of want it absolutely
2: yeah absolutely I'm I'm a good writer I'm reliable
0: exactly respect deadlines respect deadlines respect
2: word count (laughs) absolutely I'm always on word count I'm always on time and I write a good pitch you know I can pitch a good uh, you know idea to someone but I I have because I have the I guess the life experience I, I think it Brings something different to it, and maybe a calmness and a kind of, you know, I'm not a full time writer either. Mm. You know, I have that opportunity to um, to take my time. And not go for every opportunity that comes along. I go for the right opportunities for me, and, and as a writer, I think about what I can bring to it. Well, what what can I do? You know, in that space, I'm not trying to write um, reviews of Marvel films and kind of you know do do all the stuff that everybody else is trying to do. I wanted to do something mm. different, and I think you know I'm lucky. Sometimes I think I'm lucky because I have a day job and a life outside of writing. Um, that I can take my time and and make sure, you know, this is something that I can bring value to when I do pitch something or kind of, you know, write something. Other times I think it's a bit of a kind of millstone around my neck because I'm not able to take opportunities you know I can't you know just drop everything and you know suddenly go to London and you know go on a, an internship or do any, you know a lot of the opportunities yeah. are closed off to me because I am older and I have responsibilities but equally you know the swings and roundabouts with all that I think but yeah I, I, I guess I, I feel different sometimes to the people that I'm competing with but it doesn't feel like a competition because I think I'm, I'm doing something quite different so actually you know I leave other people to do what they do what they do really well, and I just kind of focus on the things that I think I know about that I can bring some some interesting um, kind of angle to, or you know, kind of um, an interesting way of thinking about things. And yeah, it, it seems to have worked for me, you know, so far. Built some great connections with people, and it's been yeah, it's been a lovely experience to be able to kind of get my words out there. Um, it's been it's been lovely.
0: I, I like what you said as well about it's not really a competition. I think that's another moment that for me was a sort of Damascus like moment where I just thought, no, it's you know, I, I'm not competing with people because you know there's enough out there if if you know where to go and and as you say you, you're you're presenting everyone's presenting something pre- a little bit different so you know it's it's never like for like and I I try not to be some people could be a little bit possessive with say email addresses of editors and things and, it, and someone told me uh well actually I'll tell you who told me it was Kali Aftab told me on uh, who's who was mm, on the podcast yeah. he told me uh, it's you've got to make a decision either you're, you're going to be generous and you're going to give you know help people out and it'll come round to you the karma mm-hmm. will come round or you're going to be territorial and you you. it might work it might not but you're not going to be as happy you know and mm-hmm. uh, wise words from Kaleem.
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, I'm definitely the um, the former. I'm I'm very generous with my um, my yeah contacts, and kind of helping other people as well. You know, I, I've been given the opportunity to climb a ladder, even if it's just a few rungs of it. And I'm not going to take the ladder up with me. I'm going to keep it down there for other people to follow. I I want other people to feel inspired. You know, if I can do it. And do it around a day job and childcare and, you know, all the other stuff that comes with with life. Other people can do it too. And I don't want people to feel it's closed off to them. Like I did feel it was when I, when I started, when I tried in my 20s to kind of do this, it felt so closed off. I felt mm. um, so um, lonely in the kind of the world of trying to to make an impact. And it was that thing of people wouldn't help me. I couldn't access any information and I could just couldn't get there you know and it's kind of i don't want that to be the experience of other people if i can do something either it's just saying oh here's a, an email address of someone or have a look at this person on twitter that they're, they're, they're doing some you know some stuff yeah then i want to do that i want to help other people to think that they can feel empowered to, to do something too
0: by the way you said at the very uh, earlier on a little bit an answer back i think you said you really enjoyed interviewing people
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: what uh, what's your secret <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I think, again, it's life experience. It's about um, being able to have a good conversation with someone and um, have an empathetic conversation. I think in my day job, I um, I work with people, I manage a lot of people, and I, I you know do recruitment and I do lots of um, stuff related to that and people's personal development and career development, that kind of thing. I've done career coaching and, and all sorts of that aspect of things and that aspect of life, I think, and having some life experience makes me a good interviewer um I found it's 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 a skill that it works in that environment it equally works when talking to someone about their latest film or music or whatever it is and I've met some fascinating people and I've heard some fascinating stories that way um and yeah just kind of spotting the kind of the um the things that make it an interesting journey or you know I, I just I do enjoy it you know I, I know a lot of people don't enjoy interviewing I I understand that but for me, I just love hearing people talking about you know how they got into you know like like this conversation we're having you know sharing the those stories about well how did you get into this and you know you find there's some lovely stuff that people can relate to that kind of comes out of that and yeah I, I do I do enjoy doing that I, I um I don't enjoy you know tagging it up necessarily and kind of you know hearing myself back on the uh, the dictaphone <laughs>
0: yeah you start doing some writing for this uh, for the website and you're you're pitching to magazines and you're getting published and you pitch this as a book to, to the publisher?
2: No, uh, again it came from a tweet so I saw a tweet from someone saying such and such publishers is looking for authors um, and one of the ideas they were looking for uh, an author for was, uh, I think it was the history of Shepparton Studios and I thought oh that's just down my street that, you know in, in, in terms of my interest in, in British cinema and I thought oh I'll have a look into that and I thought oh I'll, I'll email them and then I'll contact them. Just ran, you know, just like so, oh yeah, why not, you know. Um, I don't know where I got this confidence from, by the way, to do this kind of stuff. So yeah, kind of, it, it it felt, you know, I felt at that time, I just thought, yeah, why not? I could do that. So I emailed and had a bit of a conversation uh, with the, the, the person who uh, put the tweet out there. That book wasn't necessarily one that I could write, but we had to talk about some other ideas. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, we're looking for yeah, biographies. And one of the, the, the ones they were looking for someone to write was on Down Doors. And I thought, wow, the, the, the timing of that was perfect, because I remember having a conversation with someone not that long before we were talking about Diana Dawes and I was saying I would love to read a really good biography of her one that kind of cuts through all the you know the the usual stuff the usual focus which I'm sure we'll we'll get onto in terms of you know her and her career one written by a woman not by a middle-aged man you know I really want to kind of I'd love to read that book but I can't find one. And then, so the opportunity came up for me to write it. I thought, well, I've got to write this book because it's the book I want to read. And I'm sure other people would want to read it too. A different perspective, something, you know, a story that needs to be told and told for a modern audience. But, you know, obviously respecting, you know, the, 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 the love that people have, you know, um, for Diana does, you know, comes from many places. But I wanted to kind of tell her story anew with a different perspective. And I think, yeah, it was obviously meant to be because that was the book i wanted to read so therefore i had to write it so yeah i you know i said i'll 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 um i'll give you a proposal on that one so i wrote a proposal uh, sent it to the publishers and they came back and accepted it and yeah the rest is history. Dinodors has this sort of beginning
0: to to sort of career. First of all, she has a, such an, inf- an unfortunate name. Uh, her real name is uh, a. <laughs> what, what is it again? It's, it's uh, uh, Diana? Diana
2: Fluck. As he said, you know, if you see that name up in lights and one of the bulbs goes, you're you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> so. So yeah obviously she 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 changed her name quite early on um so she she started acting at a very young age you know she went to live in London at the age of 14 to to start you know acting training and yeah it was it was soon became apparent she she would need to change her name as 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 she started to kind of make inroads with it and yeah she uh, she did that pretty early on and Dawes Do- was her uh, grandmother's name grandmother's maiden name um and obviously it worked you know the the, the double d um worked perfectly and yeah, yeah she uh, she she made the right choice there, I think.
0: I mean, that thing about being so young as well, and being because cause, uh, she starts acting at, at 14, 15, as you say, but then she's sort of like she's being considered for sort of fairly sexualized roles really quite early on in her career, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think even her first screen role, she was playing older than she was. Uh, so she's 15. When she had her first screen role, she a very small um part, but yeah, she was, she was she was fifteen and uh, playing older and playing a little bit of a kind of cheeky part as well. It was it's quite an interesting little performance. What what was the name of the film? Uh, the Shop at Sly Corner is her first um her first role, and she she always a lot early on she has these small roles in these films. You know the kind of the the two a penny kind of. British uh, film studio films that were kind of very much of the time but she always gives such a lovely performance you know it's that knack for she has such great screen presence she knew the camera she worked with the camera really well from a young age she understood what the camera wanted and she was able to, to to provide that you know she she really had a lot of personality that kind of came through even with those early roles um you know she kind of she always um she may well have had a small amount of screen time but she always made the most of it and uh, you know she she was she was making films you know film after film early on uh, uh, as a teenager i think she was told she, she was told to um to say she was older than she was but um yeah she she was um yeah from a young age performing on screen regularly
0: and then she gets taken on by the rank organization which is which is one of those sort of well it's, it's probably the most important thing going in the british film industry at this point right
2: Oh, absolutely so yeah she joins the the she signs a contract with the rank um charm school as it was known which essentially was a bit of a production line for young talents so J. arthur rank had, had set this up to kind of i guess try and mimic the success of you know um hollywood the hollywood studio system but it was a little bit of a production on of young young stars coming in learning the basics learning the ropes and kind of you know a bit of deportment and a bit of kind of screen acting and a bit of this and a bit of that um in a kind of drafty church hall you know in, in north london and it didn't have exactly have the glamour of Hollywood um, which I think she was very disappointed about but yeah she, you know they were they worked and worked hard you know the, there was this kind of group of contract stars who were always working you always see them in the same films you know over and over again um, you know she, she was one of them and she, she knew the, how to play again the play the system you know she knew that she would need to do the the publicity stuff that went along with it you know kind of it was all part of it part of the kind of the process um, and she, she kind of understood I think from an early age that, that was that was that went with it you know she was always she was always prepared to kind of turn up and and kind of you know cut a ribbon or you know kind of have a photo taken at her fate or whatever it was she was she was always there and she always understood the importance of it she wasn't overly happy about it and you know she she wasn't overly happy about the parts that she was playing she was typecast you know from a young age um as kind of the good time girl or the femme fatale type but not in a in an interesting way you know not in the hollywood sense it was more yeah it, it it wasn't quite where she saw herself she always had massive confidence in in her ability to be a star and you know she was a little bit disappointed i think in some of the roles that she was put forward for um during that time um you know there were many other people obviously went through the rank child school doors as well at the same time and you know you, you can see how some of them made it and some of them didn't I think she was she was destined to make it, you know, simply because of the way she embraced it, as well as kind of her performances. She she embraced the system and and kind of went with it, really. I mean, that's
0: part of the the thing that I loved about the book, uh, aside from you know, I mean, uh, entwined with the story of her life is this sort of history of British film at this moment that that she runs very much parallel to, and it feels like she's kind of a little bit slipping through the cracks of uh, uh, of sort of movements you, you know what i mean the sort of the angry young men sort of uh, situation is coming up and it's deglamorizing the screen just as she's starting to be to, to want to be to want to play the sort of british marilyn monroe character and there's also a sense that she's is there a sense that that looking to america that that both she and the british films industry it seems to be doing is in some ways sort of damages her career
2: yeah, I think so. I think um, she didn't have many options. This this is the thing she wanted to go to Hollywood, and she did. She did try to go to Hollywood, and it didn't work out for her. She saw her future elsewhere. She didn't see her future in the British film industry as it was because it just simply wasn't giving her the opportunities to to take on those glamorous leading roles and kind of leave behind the kind of the what seems by some of the drabness of of British cinema at the time. I think a lot of people kind of you know I can see what people mean when they talk about British cinema at that time being kind of, you know, schmaltzy or drab or whatever it is. Mm. But there's there's a real humour to it. There's a real warmth to it. There's a lots of lovely little films that kind of came out during that time that people kind of, you know, miss because they're just, yeah, you, there was there was so much happening. So it was obviously activity was, was, was huge at the time in terms of, in the British sense of, you know, um, filmmaking. But, mm. yeah, there was a lot of kind of production line stuff. But, yeah, we, I think... People often miss some of the little gems that kind of, you know, um, kind of came out of that that system. But it was kind of, it was never going to sustain itself. And a lot of people, a lot of talent left because, you know, there wasn't the roles for them. Talked, you know, about Jaleigh Thompson, the director. You know, he, he directed a lot of the, the films and studio films around that time. And he went to America, you know, he left it behind because he just couldn't get the break. Even after Yield to the Night, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't going to be there. You know, he went.
1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: He went to Hollywood, and a lot of stars did. Diana Doz, um as I say, tried to to go to Hollywood. Notoriously, didn't work out for her for various reasons, mainly uh, Dennis Hamilton, her first husband, and his behaviours. It just didn't uh, didn't work out for her, and she was she was gutted. You know, she um she she yeah she 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 really struggled. I think to kind of get her head around the fact that that just didn't happen for her, and she she came back to Britain and had to try again.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about her uh, her sort of uh, private. I I was hesitating really to use the phrase private life because it seems seems to have been so much part of her story publicly as well. Basically, her her several husbands and and her love affairs and everything, which then became sort of tabloid fodder Mm. again it's that thing of you you've you know the tabloid version and then you read the sort of reality the stuff that you've uncovered and the and the the more empathetic as you said more empathetic vision and it's kind of heartbreaking right
2: yeah absolutely this was a a real um journey that I went on when I was researching and, and and reading and kind of uncovering you know the kind of the as I was writing the book it was a real, yeah. There was real heartbreaking moments in in the journey. It was a real, it was a real journey for her, you know, her life journey and her career journey, kind of intertwined, all through the the writing of the book. And yeah, you can see she made some bad decisions. You know, she's not. I don't. You know, I think she would freely admit that she she made those bad decisions. It wasn't all, you know, kind of in the stars, or you know, her fate was kind of in the hands of other people. She she did make some some. So maybe some bad life choices, you know, one of the main ones being her, the, the choice of first husband, uh, Dennis Hamilton, who who took control of her career and, uh, you know, not for the better. But then also, you know, she she understood, you know, from a young age, as we've already said, she understood the importance of publicity, she understood the pu- importance of, of the other stuff that goes along with becoming a star and being in the public eye. And, you know, Dennis Hamilton was a, a Svengali type, you know, he, he self-styled Svengali. You know, he wanted to take control of her career and kind of take her in a direction that she wasn't necessarily comfortable with. And he certainly made her, you know, infamous um, in in some ways. You know, there were were all sorts of, um, you know, kind of incidents and kind of situations that he, he, he got her into. But also, you know, she understood the value of staying in the public eye. And, you know, she was the first person to sell her story to a Sunday tabloid. Um, so she sold her story to the News of the World in nineteen sixty. You know, it was serialised over several weeks. She knew the value of um putting herself out there, you know, information and the press and how to kind of play that game. Uh, she was the first person to really do that and embrace it and kind of make use of it, you know, from from both both ways. You know, she, she knew what the press wanted and often she knew she had to kind of give that kind of information away. Often it was for money, you know, she she was always struggling. You know, she was the one who went out and earned, you know, all, all three of her husbands were, you know, not exactly able to support her. She was always the one going out and working and, and that was something that really came across when in the book was that um that work ethic you know she was a grafter she she had to keep working when things weren't working out she would go and do cabaret or she'd go and do at some one stage the working man's club circuit just to keep working to keep the money coming in keep the bills paid and you know get, uh, lived a lifestyle she'd become you know accustomed, accustomed to or her husband's become accustomed to and she just kept going you know the, the the kind of that thing of you know dusting yourself down picking yourself back up again and going again the number of times she 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 had to do that um, was quite astounding i i i hadn't been aware of just how how much she she'd had to do that through a career uh, particularly into the sixties kind of the seventies and then yeah, just kind of just trying things and doing things just taking those chances and risks and that maybe other actors wouldn't do and I think she um she's all a, you know her career and the, the the kind of the um the strength of her career and the depth of her career reflect that. You know, I I I I should know how many films she she's appeared, and I don't. It's hundreds, but. She just kept working, you know. She kept going, and you know, even even when things looked like you know they were never going to turn around, she would have a chink of light where something would happen, and it would, you know, she 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 did a lot of stage work, and she got some great notices for her her stage work, um, kind of into the 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 seventies, for example, and kind of yeah, she just kind of embraced every opportunity that came her way. Sometimes she took the wrong opportunity, and then her career would kind of go on a different path potentially you know you, you do wonder what could have been if she'd maybe made different decisions but yeah her her private life and her career are intertwined at, at all stages and there was no getting away from that when writing the book i had to to take the journey as as one in a way you know i couldn't separate the two things out because they they, they completely influenced each other and you know that part of her life had to be part of the the book you know the the personal life the that the stuff that people are focused on in terms of the you know kind of some of the more uh sordid elements of, of her personal life particularly early on with dennis hamilton you know that had to be there it had to be there in the book um but i wanted to present it as as part of a, a wider journey and also a wider kind of social history of the time as well you know and the um yeah she lived through as you as, as you alluded to she lived through some of the most fascinating periods in, in british social history of the 20th century and also you know the film history as well this, you know, she 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 lived through all that. You know, she 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 navigated her her acting journey and her personal journey through all that. And it's it it was important to kind of give that context, I think, as well to to just to to give that information to the reader and you know let people make their own um, conclusions about you know her and her uh, career um, through that lens. I think
0: it seems like a really dangerous. It seems like there was an element of danger around her, and you know, not of her doing, but. There were elements of like there's bits where um, uh, one I think it's her husband burns down the house or somebody burns down a house because they s- were setting off fireworks and everyone was drunk and there's and as you say there's this connection to to a, a sort of maybe a, a a shadier side of the of the late f- the 50s and 60s where you have I think you referred to the Profumo affair and the uh, Christine Keeler and that sort of stuff and that's all sort of happening around about the same time right
2: yeah no it is and uh, yeah she kind of like you say her journey kind of interacts with and kind of intersects with, with lots of different elements that you know kind of come to the fore in in later years in terms of yeah that kind of political and social changing landscape i think you know particularly into the 60s and and beyond you know she yeah she seemed to be on the periphery of of, of all of these things there were connections there you know if i'd had more opportunity to kind of delve into that you know it, it would have been interesting to kind of um, tease that out a little bit more but yeah, it, she was she was mixed in slightly dodgy circles, you know, particularly through her husband, uh, through Dennis Hamilton and his dodgy mates, and you know, you know, she kind of, yeah, she she was kind of, you know, on the on the periphery of, of a lot of interesting situations and and interesting characters.
0: There's like sex parties going on, and there's, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, that whole stuff. I mean, it's I think you you do you have absolutely the right sort of weight to it that you don't sort of you you know you don't go into it too. Too much. You don't give it too much weight, but at the same time, wow, wow, what what a weird world to live in.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as I say, I had to cover that stuff. You know, it was part of her and her mm. journey, and yeah, yeah, you know, the six parties were a, a big part of that. Um, they were well known um, in in certain circles. Her and her husband for the the parties that they threw. Um, with you know two way mirrors and you know kind of staging areas and encouraging men and women to kind of go off and and um, perform apparently unaware that they were being watched and and that kind of thing. It was very clear that she she was never involved herself. No one ever, from my reading and and speaking to to people, she was never involved herself. But she obviously knew about it. In her, she she wrote a lot herself and I think that's one thing I, I would mention is that she was a great writer herself she wrote a lot of books during that time you know she, she again she knew the power of kind of getting her you know stuff out there and her opinions out there she wrote her first autobiography in 1960 you know she was still very young mm-hmm. she uh she wrote numerous books through the 60s and 70s and into the 80s including a second autobiography as well in, in 1980 I think it came out and she was um a, a very sharp and very witty woman and that really comes across in the way that she um she, she writes and the way that she kind of um presents herself in, in in that light and she she's very clever to kind of you know she she tells the story of this this stuff happening around her not necessarily you know how she was involved but yeah from talking to people that's kind of true you know she was handing out the volivants while people were enjoying themselves you know she was making sure the glasses were topped up didn't drink herself she always had a, to kept a clear head and yeah very useful, I think, for when it came to kind of later years when she used to recount, you know, her her opinions and her experiences of, of other people. There's um, yeah, some some wonderful anecdotes in her own writing about um certain individuals. And I think you know you can only do that if you're a clever, resourceful, you know, kind of woman who who um, yeah, knows the value of keeping quiet and you know just make, making notes. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, just st- sticking to the shandy while everybody's on the uh, while everybody's on the Absolutely. I, I really, really hope that those autobiographies fully exploited the pun potential of her surname.
2: Oh, there's loads. Yes, yeah. so the first one's called "Swinging Doors." So oh, there you go. If, there you go. If so, <laughs> she, she peaked too early, I think. Uh, uh, in terms the first of one should
0: have been called the "Early Doors." <laughs> early doors yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, she. Yeah, a lot of the uh, the books that she um, she wrote uh, were, uh, you know, a little bit of a pun. It was "Behind Closed Doors" as well. Um, in the late seventies, I say. Swinging Doors which is her first um, autobiography Um, she also she wrote a lot of articles as well newspaper articles magazine articles and that kind of thing one of my favourite books of hers is called The A to Z of Men which came out in the early 80s wow Um, and that's an eye opener I'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, in what sense? In what sense did I just know? the um, just some Gist. of the yeah? She's just yeah, very forthright. She was given a brief, you know, and she fulfilled it in terms of what that book needed to be. As I say, she played on her own image. She she knew the image that people wanted to see, and she she did embrace that and kind of you know, if that meant writing you know writing a book called The set of Men and you know the cover with picture of her. I think I think that's the one where she she's there with sat in a chair with a parrot on her shoulder. I can't remember. Off the top of my head I don't have it in front of me. Why why wouldn't you? Exactly. Why wouldn't you have a parrot on you your know, shoulder? There was an image of her that kind of, you know, the, that the public expected and I think she she did she delivered that um and she had fun along the way as well you can see that she, yeah. she had fun doing these things and you know kind of that always comes across particularly into the late 70s early 80s when she's on TV a lot you can see she's a, she's cheeky she's funny she's 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 um yeah enjoying herself kind of when she's you know kind of having those conversations with Russell Harty or whoever on the sofa and yeah the fun aspect of her comes across and from talking to people and um, when doing the book and also since when people people. People come forward and said, oh, I've seen your book or I heard you write the book and I knew her or my mum knew her. Or she comes across as this wonderful life and soul of the party, a really fun person to be around, very warm, very witty, very kind of embracing of of people. And a lot of people have come to me and said, yeah, I met her once and she was lovely to me. And, you know, she did this, she did that. And yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's lovely to know that my feeling for her as I was writing the book. Um, is kind of played out in other people's experiences of her because I, I didn't get the chance to speak to her. Obviously, you know, she died very young. She died age fifty two in nineteen eighty four, and she, she obviously touched a lot of people's lives and kind of um, left a real indelible mark on them. You know, in in, in terms of, she sounded like such a, a lovely person to be around. I would have loved to have gone for a drink with her. You know, spent time listening to her stories. I bet she would be great fun
0: Yeah, she would have got you drunk and got you to do terrible things and then then written an autobiography exactly. about yeah. punning on her name again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said that's 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 something that's really interesting about her story is that on one level as you were saying about the cabaret there's a brilliant moment in your book where you describe her basically going how do i'm an actress how do i do cabaret and sort of having to work out an act because yeah. uh because she, who has a cabaret act up their sleeve and then there's also this sense that as you said as well earlier that she made some bad decisions do you was there ever a point when you were writing the book where you could sort of pinpoint a bit and say, damn it, if she if she'd gone this way and not that way, her career would have been much different?
2: Yeah, I think um both from a kind of career point of view. I think the the time you're talking about there with the cabaret is a good um example. I think I can't remember the roles, but she was offered theatre and she was offered cabaret. She went down the cabaret route, um, with more money in it. Um she was swayed by her husband. I think into making that decision because, you know, more, more money means, you know, let's go down and let's do that, let's do that. And I think she was pushed down that route. I think if she'd maybe taken take a more considered view, taken take some theatre, or there might not have been the money in it you know, the prestige from a kind of, you know, publicity point of view, but from a critical point of view, you know, she, she, she could act, she got good notices, she got good reviews, you know, when, when she took to the stage, for example, or, you know, in some of her other films where she was able to give more of a, a, a kind of um, understated performance, you know, later on in her career, she, you know, she could obviously act and I think she wasn't able to really exploit that because she was she was swayed by, uh, I guess, the pressure from from other people sometimes, the pressure to keep going, you know, not and and t- she did take risks, but sometimes it was easier to go down the the more lucrative route with the the cabaret, for example. I think um on a personal point of view, um I, I won't spoil it for people because I want people to read the book. But there's one love affair early on which I think she I just wish she'd been able to um to build a relationship with that person I think her career and her personal life would have taken a very different turn and she wouldn't necessarily have had the the ups and downs and the real heartbreak um of of those relationships those personal relationships that she went on to kind of yeah just you know a victim of, of kind of you know other people's um decisions in terms of her her personal life if she'd gone yeah I, I just wish she, she'd she'd followed her heart um a little bit earlier on and um, I think things would have been very different both on a know prayer and, and a personal point of view.
0: I was also thinking about this as I was reading. It. I was trying to think of sort of like equivalent actresses of that era who 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 went from Britain. And I can think of ones from earlier. Maybe maybe Joan Collins would be one from from around about the same time.
2: Yeah, she knew Joan Collins as well. Uh, Diana does. She, her her um her agent at one stage was Diana Diana Doe's agent at one stage was Joan and Jackie Collins' dad. I'm sure I'm sure he was her agent at one point. Um, so yeah, she she knew she knew Joan Collins. Yeah, that's I think that's a good example. A little bit later on, I think than Diana Doe's, I think with Joan Collins, uh, but yeah, again, she she did go. She made the, the leap, didn't she, from you know from the the kind of the, the British film studio system to to, to Hollywood. Um, yeah, there are few. There's very few examples, I think, of of any you know, personally that I can think of who 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 tried it and succeeded.
0: I mean, you can think of them earlier. There's sort of like people like Vivian Lee yeah, and, you yeah. know, there are people, Claire Trevor sort of, you know, I can think of sort of the black and white movies mm. from a little bit, five, 10 years earlier, perhaps. I, I just keep thinking of Dinah Dawes as almost this transitional figure who's who's just not quite, she's just one, you know, she's either a little bit too far ahead or she's a little bit too far behind to to really catch the wave you know yeah
2: yeah
0: because even in terms of like the attitudes to sex that we were talking we were talking about earlier you know she ends up doing uh adv- you know it's she doesn't even do confessions films she does the sort of cheap knockoff of the of the confessions films and it's that. What were they called? The Adventures of a Private Eye. Yeah,
2: Adventures of a Taxi Driver. Adventures of. Yeah, it was the Adventures of series. Like any actor of of that time, she had no choice. You know, not everybody was having to do those films in the seventies because there was nothing else to do. You know, she she had to ride that wave because what else would she be doing? You know, the the there were no other roles. She she would get script after script, which was the, essentially the same thing. And it's the, the choice just wasn't there in Britain. The seventies cinema in Britain was awful. You know, from that point of view, yes, there was some, um, you know, kind of there was some interesting work being created. But generally, you know, you didn't have much to choose from either as a cinema goer or as an actor. You know, you you, you had to kind of go with what was it was sitcom spin um, spinoffs. It, it was.
0: And they were always going to Spain. They were yeah, always... <laughs> absolutely. It was always like,
2: are you being served in Spain or, you know, uh, yeah. on the buses in Spain? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was in a dire, dire situation. There was horror, you know, horror was obviously had its critical acclaim and, you know, was an industry in itself in in Britain of that period. And she did horror films as well. She had a a, a career, she embraced that side of things too. She just kept doing what she could do. You know, she, she, she just kept going. But yeah, you're right. You know, some of the, um, the, the film choices of that period really actually very depressing in terms of, you know, there's not much you can kind of gleaned from that and her performances in terms of her as a, as a screen star but on the other hand and at the same time running parallel to that she started to do television work you know she'd done a little bit in the 60s and and, and elements earlier on but in the 70s, she started doing some really in- interesting work, you know, on, on the small screen. And I think I always wonder if she'd lived longer and hadn't died at such an early age, what she would have gone on to do. You know, where would her career have taken her? I think she was starting to gain the respect as an actor, you know, later on, because once she was able to embrace those character roles and take on those more um, interesting, interesting roles in more interesting work, she was able to kind of show and demonstrate her acting skills and not having to rely on this image that was kind of created around her when she was able to shed that. She did some great, so she did some comedy. You know, she did Queenie's Castle, which is a wonderful, wonderful sitcom from 1970. She did, um, you know, episodes of Minder. She did all sorts of things through the 70s, which people do remember and loved her performances in. She could have gone on, I think, to have a wonderful... Um, small screen career in, in, in the UK, you know, you think she could have... I, I envisaged her doing like a Linda Lepant drama in the mid-90s, you know, or something like that, and being this wonderful character actor, which I think she she was showing the signs of kind of wanting to go on that journey, actually, as an actor. I think she was starting to really kind of see her her kind of future in, in that space, because, again, film, you know, wasn't necessarily this kind of this option for her necessarily. I think she could have gone on to do some wonderful, wonderful things um, had had she lived longer?
0: And she was a good, as well as being a good talk show guest. She there, there was a, a couple of t- attempts for her to be a talk show host, sort of like a proto Oprah.
2: Yeah, she she did a, a couple of um, stints. One which I've not that I don't think there's any footage still exists of it. Was a a, a a pilot for a program called Pause for Doors, which was which was a, a pet chat show. Um, yes. <laughs>
0: Why? Why isn't that amazingly <laughs> <don't know>. famous?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately, it was just the one pilot episode. I think it, it was her talking to stars about their pets. It wasn't her talking to pets, which would have been a very different prospect. So that would, would have been hilarious. But who who did she have on? I remember oh, I it remember was Shahzad Gabor in... was one of the guests. But yeah, she, she wanted to 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 go into that field. She 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 saw herself. In that sphere, you know, she saw herself as a good host. And she was she's a great conversationalist and you yeah, know, she raconteur, was, yeah. Absolutely. You can see that as a guest. And I think, yeah, she she did um there is still still some kind of footage of, of some of the, the couple of other forays she, she did into kind of uh, presenting her own chat shows, neither of which kind of came to anything really. But you can see when we, her stint on T V AM um in the early eighties when she's doing her diet section, she's great. She's great on live TV, she's great interacting with the public as well in, in those in, in that i mean i would ask anyone to seek that out on um, on online um, just for, as a as a demonstration of 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 how wonderful she was um you know kind of in that sphere again the chat show guest you know kind of part of her career was a real kind of yeah it, it, it's lovely and she did comedy you know she 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 was very funny the two Ronnies sketched the one that turned that she appeared in was wonderful she had a real comic timing and yeah she she um she could have gone out she could have gone down that road too you know she she, she knew how to take the mickey out of herself and I think you know you can see that on screen when when, when she's she's performing she she loved it
0: the Worm who the Worm who turned was a two Ronnie sketch which alerted me to the dangers of feminism. Yes.
2: Oh honestly honestly you need to, yeah people need to to have a look at that again. It's wonderful. She she was great at.
0: And again, you know, that's as I I got I think the proof of how good your book is is that as you get to the end of the book, I I felt really sad. I was really like because I was sort of thinking, okay, I remember her but then then she disappeared. What happened? And of course, she died very young. She was diagnosed with cancer, and she uh, and and it was very quick in the end. I think, and it's so, it's so, yeah. There's a real sense of this this person hadn't finished. She was uh, she had an ongoing career, and there was another chapter to be written, perhaps.
2: Absolutely, you know, fifty two is no age, is it, to 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 yeah, no. for your life to end? And she, yeah, it was. Um such a tragedy and she yeah she had so much more to give both as, as an actor but also as you know as a mother you know she left behind a, a, a young son she had uh, her two older sons were, were in America you know she she had she had so much more to give and I think yeah it was a real loss I think people at the time really felt that loss I think the, the way that it, the, the tabloid aspect and the tabloid interest in her I think it's really interesting you know that was there at the time so you see that through her career that kind of tabloidy kind of attention when she died um again does all that kind of stuff around and particularly obviously her third husband, Alan Lake, who she she uh, you know, she loved him you can see how much they loved each other it was it was a good strong um loving relationship that third marriage he had his issues yeah. and you know he again came to his story is a tragic one too uh, again i won't go in go into what happened but you know there was a lot of tabloid speculation at the time about it and, you know you're thinking just stop you know just just leave the family alone again when i was when i was writing the book and when um obviously people were hearing that the book was coming out i did have people contact me from newspapers um, one in the goss one in. To Know have you got any news? Yeah, what, what what's you know any any kind of new gossip? You know what's the new kind of stuff you got in there? All the kind of intrigue around her personal life again was coming to the fore in terms of people wanted they they weren't interested in necessarily covering it if there wasn't anything salacious in there and and anything new any new dirt and I think there's always going to be that focus on her that's always going to be there. I don't I, I you know it, I, I tried to weigh through it. I tried to kind of pull it all apart and build it back up again. You know put the pieces of the, the jigsaw together. That stuff is still there, you know, as part of her and her journey. And it's it's a shame that that always seems to be the focus. Even now, you know, 40 years on from when she died nearly, you know, people still have that kind of interest in her... The salacious aspects of her life rather than looking at her as a as an individual as a as a woman navigating you know the kind of the change of the 20th century and as, as a screen star you know it's 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 such a shame that that will always be there um hopefully but with the book i've managed to add another layer of interest another layer of kind of context so that people can kind of view her story anew or maybe revisit it and think, oh, actually, yeah, I, I, I know something. I know that a little bit differently now. I understand that a little bit more. If I can do that and get people to kind of think about her in a little bit of a different way, then I've kind of achieved what I want to achieve, I think.
0: Yeah. And let's remind people that the if they want to go and find some Diana Dawes sort of film performances uh, away from the the sort to, to remind everybody of you know why why she she was great talented actress the long haul was one you mentioned uh tread soft tread softly stranger was another yeah
2: so tread soft softly stranger and the long haul are uh, of, of a type I would say of of, of British film of the fifties and are really worth worth seeking out. The Week and the Wicked is a, another one she did with Jaylee Thompson, who did uh, who directed Yields to the Night. It's a really interesting film. She's It's part of more of an ensemble cast, um, but she gives a fantastic performance in that as well. I have a real soft spot for some of her mid-50s work. So Value for Money, which is another film from 1955, which is a kind of a, a frothy, I guess you'd call it a rom-com um, in in today's context. Really lovely little film. There's there's lots of films like that where she gives a lovely performance in what's a very sweet, um understated film. You could go down the road watching Passport to Shame, you know, it's it's a fantastic film and a real example of, of something very different in British cinema. That's an Alvin Rakoff film and she's she's really fascinating in that. It's a really interesting film, worth seeking out. I think it's been revisited a lot, I think, from, through film critics and film academics in, in recent years. It's really worth seeing. Yeah, the, there's so many films from, from that period that where she is giving peak Diana Dawes. You know, she mm. kind of. Uh, Dance Hall is another one from 1950, very early performance from her. She, again, a part of an ensemble cast, but a great film. But I think another one to seek out would be West Eleven, which is a, a 1963 film, which is kind of. Uh, British New Wave-esque and that's directed by Michael Winner um, and it's a really interesting film actually um, and really worth kind of seeking out as a kind of, we, we you know, the British New Wave in itself is a fascinating period in, in British cinema. It's interesting to see her experience of it through that film and the, the part she plays, it's the first of the, where she's she's older now, slightly older, she's played a slightly different character, a bit more nuance, a bit more um, bit more to that character uh, but still with the glamour of, you know, Diana Dawes and what you would expect from her, but it's really interesting understated performance deep end as well is, is a great film there's so many i, I could you know I, i'd be here all day honestly um recommending diana dallas films because there's so many of them as well this is the thing you know she was prolific she really really was she worked all the way through the 50s 60s and 70s and there's something there's something for everyone i think from each of those decades you know
0: before we leave it i've got one final question for you which is could you recommend a film book for our uh, for our listeners
2: yeah so i think the one that I would recommend would be Matthew Sweet's and Babylon which is um, his book about the history of the British film industry and the British studio system. It's a fascinating read, it's an entertaining read but it's a really accessible read and it was a real inspiration for me actually with my film writing. It's It's Books like that and, and, you know, people who talk about film in an accessible way and make people interested and kind of bring out those interesting stories, those stories of individuals. And I think that is a really good example of a book that does that. It it takes individual stories from the different periods in in British cinema and kind of tells those stories and gives that context around what was happening. It's a very well-written, wonderfully entertaining read. Um, So absolutely, that that would be my recommendation.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. I'm going to put that on my list and see if I can find... Matthew Sweet's email address at the same time. <laughs> yeah. This is this is how we get guests.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but um, yeah, certainly it's available. You know, in in places where you know you you can find you can find books online.
0: Yeah, um, I've used a lot of those secondhand books things, partly to to piss off Jeff Bezos. Yes. I know, uh, you know, he's like, oh damn it, bleasdale has got another secondhand book. <laughs> uh, I can't go to Mars. <laughs> (laughs) It's so great talking to you, Anna. I really appreciate you spending the time and I really appreciate your book on Diana Dawes. It made me, you know, it made me absolutely look at somebody I thought I knew in a totally different way. And I've got a lot of these films now on my watch list. So I'm hopefully going to rediscover bits of British cinema as well as another side of Diana Dawes.
2: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book. And, you know, yeah, it's lovely to, 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 to hear that you're going to seek out her work as well. Um, because it is well worth it, it really, really is.
0: That was my conversation with Anna Kale about her book, The Real Diana Dawes, which is available everywhere just in time for Christmas. Anna's recommended book was uh, Shepperton Babylon by Matthew Sweet. So um, that's gone on my list, my Christmas wish list. All that remains now really is for me to thank Elliot Atkins for the music, Ali Harwood for the artwork. Uh, I hope you're enjoying these podcasts. If you are, please remember to tell everybody you know who might be interested and we can continue this conversations far, far, far into the future. OK, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next time, please take care.